Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to AI Named This Show. I'm Teja Custody. And I'm Tristan Jutra. And we are your human hosts. On this week's episode, was ChatGPT tricked by the New York Times and the best AI from CES 2024? Ahoy to our listeners in Slovakia. Love it. Tristan, we're conquering the globe. Tasia, did you know that with the invention of the telephone, that hello as a greeting wasn't necessarily a sure thing? A lot of people were going with ahoy hoy, like Mr. Burns like on The Mr. Simpsons. Mr. Burns. Well, see, we've known all along that we were going to have a wonderful listener base in Slovakia. So ahoy to you all. And Tristan, without further ado, because we got a lot to cover today. ChatGPT, this is so exciting. The GPT store is now live. So tell us, what can we expect from the GPT store? Well, as we teased at last week's episode of AI Named This Show, OpenAI has finally launched the GPT Store, which features a diverse range of GPTs developed by its partners and the community. So you can browse and uh, popular and trending GPTs on the community leaderboard with categories like uh, image creation, writing, research, programming, education, and lifestyle. Of course, there's going to be new featured GPTs every week. And some of their first featured GPTs include personalized trail recommendations from all trails, uh, search and synthesize results from 200 million academic papers with one called Consensus, or you can expand your coding skills with Khan Academy's Code Tutor. You can design presentations or social posts with Canva, find your next read with books and learn math and science anytime, anywhere with the CK12 Flexi AI Tutor, which rolls right off of the tongue. So if you have a look in the GPT store, they have a number that uh, ones that OpenAI have developed themselves, which have been there for a while in some form or another, but they keep adding to them. But now we see all of the uh, community ones starting to appear. Uh, one of the ones that I was playing with I thought was quite fun was the coloring book generator. So I can make a coloring book featuring our collie and his cousin Aww. and his cousin's kitty cat. But again, with all things ChatGPT, sometimes your mileage may vary because it did things pretty well and then I asked it to make a tweak and then all of a sudden instead of doing two dogs and a cat, it did two cats and a dog. It's like... Oh. Oh. The future of so, publishing. You, <laughs> you lost the plot. <laughs> so 
yeah, and now, of course, you can go and hit the Create button and design your own custom GPTs like you've been able to do for a couple of months now. But now you not only share them with your friends privately like you've been able to, you can submit them for inclusion to the GPT store. Oh, look at that cute little image. <laughs> but it's wrong. It shouldn't be two cats and a dog. It should be two dogs and a cat. So cute either way. There are steps on how to do all this on OpenAI's website at openai.com. Well, that's not the only news that I have for you today. <laughs> because do you remember last week, so long ago, when we talked about the New York Times suing OpenAI and Microsoft for copyright infringement? And we wondered what was going to come of it and what OpenAI would say. Well, they've released a statement. And you may not believe this, Tristan, but they are claiming that the New York Times tricked ChatGPT into copying its articles. <laughs> so we'll get into how in a second. But in a blog post, OpenAI said that the New York Times is not telling the full story. So dun, dun, dun. if you recall, New York Times is claiming that ChatGPT reproduced Times stories verbatim, like they just fully copied them. Well, OpenAI is arguing that the Times obviously had manipulated prompts to include regurgitated excerpts from articles. And they said, quote, even when using such prompts, our models don't typically behave the way the New York Times insinuates, which suggests they either instructed the model to regurgitate or cherry picked their examples from many attempts. You don't say. I mean, the gloves are off. The media cherry-picking facts? <laughs> that doesn't sound like Same them. what? So OpenAI, they also say that they attempted to reduce regurgitation from its large language models and that the Times refused to share examples of this supposed reproduction before filing their lawsuit. It said the verbatim examples, quote, appear to be from year-old articles that have proliferated on multiple third-party websites. Now, OpenAI did admit that it took down a ChatGPT feature called Browse that unintentionally reproduced content, but they maintain its longstanding position that in order for these AI models to learn and grow and solve new problems, they need to access, quote, the enormous aggregate of human knowledge. And obviously, OpenAI believes that this like training of this AI model with data from the internet falls under fair use rules that allow the repurposing of copyrighted works. Now, it is important to note here that in August of 2023, they did make it possible for website owners to block its web crawlers from accessing their data. And it's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but please, go on. Yes. And with all this said... OpenAI still has hopes to continue their negotiations with the New York Times. But I do wonder if maybe they, like, did the right thing or not by posting this blog because counsel for the New York Times immediately responded to this, basically saying that this blog is an admission of guilt and they maintain that this is not fair use. So it's kind of like... They were trying to pin the blame and also say, but we're open to it and look at all the cool stuff we're doing and we need to use this data. But now the Times is going, mm, you shot yourself in the foot because you really have just admitted that you are training your model on this, which I don't think that's really anything new. We kind of know that. And 
it doesn't fall under current copyright laws. So that's something we didn't really get into so much last week. We focused a lot of our conversation last week on potential remedies, uh, you know, the calculation of compensation for you know, publishers, intellectual property owners, and whatnot, especially as regards the generation of output that leans heavily into those things, or perhaps even in the inclusion in trading data. But that a lot of that is voluntary, quite honestly, under current law. The, the tra- you know, training AI models on existing content out there doesn't doesn't fall under copyright law. It is, by current interpretations, uh, fall, does fall under fair use. And of course, that is what the New York Times is contesting. Google tested this several years ago when they had their book scanning project, because what they were doing is scanning all the books so that you could find content easily and quickly, but they were not reproducing the book's in whole or making it easy for people to simply like download the books or anything like that. It was to find little snippets for research purposes and whatnot. And then, of course, as someone who is using that information, you would still want to be c- citing the original works in an appropriate way. And I think the same would hold true here as well. Now, the additional wrinkle that you mentioned with how they managed to get ChatGPT to simply regurgitate an entire, virtually an entire article, well, there's a couple of things at play there. One is that you mentioned that same article had proliferated around the web, and so it was on multiple sites. So the, the, the training model didn't necessarily know that, oh, yeah, this is something that, that's just New York Times only. This is general knowledge that's on the web, per se. And perhaps by, through some sort of tagging or provenance measures, you know, the source could be properly uh, attributed, or the LLM could just identify that through, th- uh, like through um, bylines. And the like, and we see this. Like there will be paywalled articles from the New York Times and others that get copied and pasted onto other websites, and that's a thing. And people are throwing up ads against that kind of stuff. In order to get ChatGPT to regurgitate the entire article, what the New York Times didn't admit at first was that they basically copied and pasted like a good portion. It was like at least a third, if not half of the article into ChatGPT and then just said, basically, go. And then, of course, because it's a probabilistic model, it's going to try to figure out, well, what's what are the next words that should follow? Well, because it had seen those several paragraphs of text before out on the open web, well, yeah, it's just going to like fill in the blanks. It's like Mad Libs, except the entire Mad Lib is the remaining paragraphs. That's not how people use ChatGPT. This is an artificial construct to try and create a gotcha type of situation. And so OpenAI calls them out on sl- it. <laughs> yeah. This is not a slam dunk by the New York Times by, by any stretch. But I think this is all going to lead to some sort of negotiation eventually and, and the like. Um, not, not to mention the fact that the whole opt-out option is there for publishers. And frankly, that is super annoying if you are trying to do research and use some of these tools to you know, find articles on similar topics and like find some of the highlights, include citations. But some of them will say, oh, sorry, um, this, is not, uh, you, this is not accessible due to the, uh, the website's uh, you know, policies. Kind of like you would do with robots.txt if you didn't want Google to index and or, or crawl and or index your website, which all you're doing is making it harder for people to find your stuff and or link to you in citations if they're doing their job properly. A lot of this is a human behavior problem in terms of citations, plagiarism, etc. I mean, that's been in the news the last few weeks. It's not really the tool problem. So sure, opt out if you want, but I think in some ways that's going to limit the visibility of your source uh, content. And ultimately, it's going to harm the utility of these 
tools, which I think this is the, that's the end game for some of these publishers. They want to harm the utility of LLMs until they get paid what they basically deem that they're worth. But in the meantime, Apple, who many have accused of kind of being behind in the whole uh, modern AI race as you know, with respect to public facing stuff like LLMs, image generation models and whatnot, while they've been, you know, doing their own stuff with image processing and uh, AI uh, neural, you know, neural engines you know, on, their, on their, their chips and whatnot, they have kind of been quiet on the LLM side. Last, as early as last spring, we heard that they'd been spending millions of dollars a day training their own large language models. But more recently, we've heard that Apple has been um, exploring deals with publishers. So whereas OpenAI, I mean, they're not a small company uh, by any, any right, worth, you know, by some estimates, as much as $90 billion. Apple is pushing a $3 trillion evaluation. They're trying to so get they've ahead got of some, it. They're trying yeah, to be Yeah, so they've got some, they can throw a money, enough money at this to catch up and make deals, be the nice guy, kind of, you know, not entirely dissimilar to maybe the early 2000s when Napster was running rampant and the music industry was suffering like crazy. Steve Jobs comes in with the iTunes store saying, hey, hey guys, you know, hey, Sony, BMG, you know, all, you, all, you, all your record labels, Warner, uh, you're getting ripped off left, right, and center. Let's make an easy way for people to buy music. 99 cents a song, $9.99 an album, et cetera, et cetera. You know, later we had Spotify with streaming and others and Apple finally caught up on the streaming game, but make it easy for people to do the right thing and people will pay a reasonable amount. So I think Apple is bidding on a similar strategy here where you know they've been opening negotiations with major news and publishing organizations seeking permission to use the material in uh, Apple's development of generative AI systems. So apparently, you know, reports are that they're pitching multi-year deals worth at least $50 million to license the archives of news articles, uh, such, a, such as those from Condé Nast, who publishes you know, Vogue and The New Yorker, I think Wired Magazine as well, uh, looking at um, NBC News and the IAC, which owns People, The Daily Beast, and Better Homes and Gardens. So uh, some of, so far, it sounds like some of these companies are a little meh on the pitch. But again, if they're not you know, careful, they may end up you know, coming back a little later on going, oh, actually, we've changed our mind. We'd like to be in there. Do you got any money left for us? And this is, these kind of deals are, seem to be much more than some of the numbers we've heard that OpenAI may have been tossing around. Like, oh, like a million dollars for the New York Times? They're like, no, like, come on. We've gotten that in our couch cushions. So... Apple is taking a different approach here, again, a differentiator to maybe avoid the, uh, the stain on their brand from being accused of being a, a plagiarizer or whatever with their own AI systems. And Apple always gets knocked, as we say, that they're not in the game and they're so behind on the game. But didn't they kind of quietly release an open source, like multimodal LLM back in October? Why, why Tasia, maybe they did. <laughs> So you may remember back in December, we were talking about, uh, a, a, again, a kind of low-key announcement from Apple where they had t uh, mentioned a, a new a framework called MLX and a model library called MLX Data, which were designed to run efficiently on Apple Silicon and enable generative AI applications. So how do we get some of these uh, AI tools running efficiently on hardware, be it iPhones, iPads, you know, MacBooks Pro, etc.? That it could take a year or two, if not more, for those things to generate fruit. But one thing that apparently was missed is back in October, 
there was a, a, a release of an open source multimodal LLM from Apple and Columbia University. Apple's doing some a lot of open source stuff right now. And this LLM was called Ferret. So at the time, the release was just for research use only, and there's no commercial license or anything like that, and it didn't receive much attention. But now Apple has announced that it has made a key breakthrough in deploying LLMs on iPhones. So tying back to the whole MLX and MLX data frameworks. So the company has released two new research papers introducing new techniques for 3D avatars. Oh, boy. Memoji, here we go again. And efficient model inference. Uh, the advancements could potentially enable more immersive visual experiences, <coughs> Apple Vision Pro, and allow complex AI systems to run on consumer devices such as the iPhone and iPad. And I think, did we discuss this, like what the Apple Vision Pro seems to be missing, and we've got now we've got a release date and pre-order dates and all that stuff, is the, the deep AI integration. Because you're using your hands and like waving around in space and you know you can use real bluetooth keyboards and stuff if you want but wouldn't it be really handy if you could like talk to a much smarter Siri as well and have that enabled on you know on, on systems that can run in the hardware that's just on your head and not in a in a mainframe or like a server farm somewhere across the cloud which introduces latency so all of these this is in typical apple fashion they're working on all of these different little pieces the hardware side the software side the model side and we'll see when it eventually starts to bear fruit. Google, Apple's coming for you. Remember we talked about dun, dun, dun. Google Nano and we talked about or Gemini Nano, I guess. Gemini Nano, and, yeah, coming to an Android phone mm -hmm. near you. So competition is Apple's great. Apple's making moves, making money moves. <laughs> We're all running headlong into the mobile AI apocalypse. Well, speaking of the AI apocalypse, it is uh, CES this week and Whilst we unfortunately are too busy working our desk jobs to go to CES, we have compiled a little, a few little picks of all the great, what we think are our favorite AI-focused picks from CES. And then Tristan, I thought it might be fun at the end of the episode, before we leave our loyal listeners, to also give them a little, but why though? So let's do a couple of our fun picks because... It seems like AI is everywhere at CES this year. And I'd like to kick us off with a little announcement from Walmart, believe it or not. Bet you didn't see that coming, Tristan. <laughs> My big pick of the day. So Walmart actually revealed kind of a handful of new products, including a couple AI-powered tools for managing product search and replenishment, as well as a new kind of still in beta AR social commerce platform called Shop with Friends, which I'll get to that in a second. But Walmart is launching a new generative AI search feature right now just for iOS that is going to allow customers to search for products by use cases instead of, say, the product name or brand name. So like as an example, in the on iOS, you can open up the Walmart app and you could search for things like, I don't know, 40th birthday party instead of, say, specific items related to a birthday party, like cups, banners, snacks, accessories, and so on. So this, to me, kind of rivals also that Google's SGE, the search generative experience, where you can get kind of these more robust searches from just saying a general idea of what you want, like use case, instead of each product, which is really, really cool. So they're also going to be using... 
um, this for replenishment of frequently ordered items as well. So Walmart will first test this with their Walmart in-home replenishment, and that's going to create automated automated online shopping carts for customers with items that they regularly order. So these items will then be delivered to either directly into the customer's fridge in their kitchen or their garage using smart lock powered in-home delivery service. So like we see this with Amazon a lot where there's certain partnerships where the drivers can enter your garage and drop off your items for you in the garage for a bit more secure delivery. So Walmart's kind of up in their game here a little bit too. Maybe they're trying to rival and take a bite out of Amazon's pie perhaps. But the other cool thing was that they introduced this shop with friends. So this is an AR shopping tool that lets customers create and share virtual outfits with their friends and then they can get feedback on their finds. So this is kind of like, think of it like the next step of the virtual try-on. You know how we've been seeing that a lot with different retailers and stuff. So kind of a cool, neat thing because sometimes you see... People don't want to leave their homes anymore. Number one. <laughs> they're, just, they're not used to it. We don't want to leave the house. Why? <laughs> number two, sometimes it's hard to tell how something will look on you. And you order something and then you get it in the mail and you're like this is horrible and now I need to leave my home and make the physical return. <laughs> so if this is done right, I think this is really, really cool, especially the fact that sh- the, the whole friends aspect. So being able to like get your friends take, like gone are the days where you need to order something. It comes to your house. Then you stand in the bathroom mirror and you take a really terrible bathroom mirror selfie and then you send it to your friends and you're like, do you like this? Or like you're at the store physically and you're in the change room mirror, which by the way, there's skinny mirrors in those change rooms and you always look better than you do. And then you have to send photo to your friend and say, do you like this? And then like wait for the response. Whereas this is just a way more integrated way if it works properly. So that's my first pick, Tristan. Bet you didn't think I'd be picking a Walmart one. <laughs> what I want to know is that the, is for the most effective use of the virtual try-on, should you take the most unflattering photo of yourself you could so that when the, you finally get the outfit at home, it I, I might actually look better than you expect? Or can you do all sorts of dumb pose? Can you like do walk like Egyptian pose? And will it properly drape the, the clothes over your body exactly in a realistic way or will it end up in nightmare fuel? yeah is it just like pasting the top on you know because these renderings look really good like, like paper dolls exactly <laughs> so you, i want to know what angles we have can you see from the side and from behind and yeah what is it going to look like when i'm sitting like what does the puffy shoulder look like you know I'll, exactly like what you're saying so it's a bit of a tbd as a lot of ces things are but kind of excited one of the other the interesting aspects too was the whole in-store, you know, smart shopping cart thing where cameras could, you know, see what's in your cart, sort of like what Amazon had been testing in some of their stores, you know, the where this you don't have to check out, it just automatically, you know, debits your uh, Amazon Prime account. So I think there's going to there's a lot of ways that this could go wrong, especially if there are th- things they can't see in the carts, because it's not, this is relying on computer vision, not on RFID tags, which might be a bit more reliable. Yeah, because there is a there. store, yeah. there might be a couple stores now in certain cities in the US that like, 
the shopping cart itself is a smart cart and the item is kind of scanned as you put it into the cart. So it's not really, it's not relying on, it's almost like a self-checkout, but it's in your cart. So it's not relying on like a camera system like this. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see too. Like, we'll just see how long it takes for thieves to figure out how to fool the system. I just want a shopping cart that quietly judges you as you're putting things in there. It's like, do you really need those Pringles? You put something bad in it and it just goes, wah, wah. It's <laughs> like, oh, this is how this weekend's going for you, is it? You might also be <laughs> interested in. <laughs> Hungry man meal. <laughs> All right, TJ. So tell me what your first pick from CES 2024 is. Well, my picks aren't nearly as ambitious or robust as, as yours, Teja. I'm I'm going for the the uh, you know <laughs> the robots. Yes. And why not have a robot that is from this angle at least a little oddly shaped? Be careful not to sit uh, on it. Tristan's is showing the... <laughs> a photo that might be not safe for work. I don't really know how to describe it for I, people. <laughs> I think that's the ejection chute for yard trimmings. Let's just go with that. This is the Yarbo multi-purpose <laughs> intelligent yard robot. Looks like it was featured at one of the um, sort of extra showcases at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show down in Las Vegas. Not the main show floor. This looks like something from either Eureka Park or possibly Showstoppers. But the idea here is that we've seen like not only robot vacuums from Roomba and Samsung and others, but we've seen robot mops, but also robot lawnmowers. Yes. This is taking that concept to the next uh, level. So the Yarbo multi-purpose yard robot system um, has a family of product designed to take care of nearly all your backyard tasks, including a snowblower, <laughs> lawnmower, uh, granular spreader. Not sure what that is. Is that, is that like granular fertilizer uh, yes, or something? Yes, I believe so. L- liquid spreader and more. And the great part is do- docking stations. So a lot of these, uh, you know, robot lawnmowers and vacuum cleaners, they know where to go to recharge. So you know, nice seamless experience. So they have uh, a website that features their family of products at uh, yarbo.com. Big coming out party for them. Some of them. Look like if if you zoomed out, they they almost look like giant heavy industrial machinery you would see in a mining operation on an asteroid or something but like, like that. But like shrunk but down actually, to miniatures. Yeah, they're shrunk down and just doing some. You're you're blowing, you're clearing your sidewalk of snow or mowing your lawn and all that sort of stuff. And then of course power is a big part of it, having good robust batteries. But the AI angle with these things. Like they like it has been for for years with the robot lawnmowers and um, and vacuum cleaners is the smarts in these devices to do things like mapping your yard, figuring out what the you know debris or obstacles in. Do you want the lawnmower to go over the dog poop or not? Right? Like you, we've seen that kind of situation with robot vacuums, uh, and it doesn't end well smearing stuff all across the floor. Uh, you don't want to get jam ups in your lawnmowers or snowblowers either. When to stop if you have a perhaps a, a small child in the way? So some of these are available for pre-order now, I think. But here's my thing with this: even if you took this. Like, I know this is like the multi-purpose one. That's kind of your pick that can apparently do all these things. Dude, even just an automatic snowblower sold. Like, if that that accurately (laughs) maps your driveway, which, by the way, driveways are probably one of the easier things to map because they're typically rectangular or square and they have somewhat a normal edge line, I guess, a straight edge line. And so, like, 
dude, you don't have to leave your <laughs> house go. and do any snowblow. Honest to Pete, this is incredible. Great pick. TBD if it the works. Thing, though, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm always afraid someone's going to yoink it. Like, well, you're not paying attention. Oh, uh, right? that's and the thing. Does it have? I was going to ask can you, you. Can you have it call home? Can you track it? Can you pop? Do you have to pop an air tag on it or whatever? I'm right? assuming there's got to be some type of alarm system, right? Or like it won't work out of a range of your base or something because mm. that would be if somebody jacks it and it doesn't have the base, it should do like I don't know an automatic alarm or just be rendered useless. I would assume. But I assume there's tracking in there as well for you. But good grief. So we have sm- That's yeah. cool. So we have smarts not just in little shrunken down yard units, but also some larger vehicles too, Tasia. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My second pick, Tristan. Drum roll. It's from Volkswagen. What two odd picks I've had tonight. Walmart and Volkswagen. Walmart and Volkswagen. You are so suburban. Even I didn't see this coming, I gotta say. So Volkswagen says it's putting ChatGPT in their cars, whether you want it or not. So they're planning to install ChatGPT into its entire vehicle lineup, including their electrical vehicles they're electric vehicles <laughs> they're electrical the electrical ones you have to plug into the wall <laughs> right <laughs> all of their vehicles starting in the second quarter of this year 2024 now this feature is going to come to europe first and then there's considerations being made for u.s customers next so it's okay the european one won't be allowed to do anything because of all the regulations that's just what i'm wondering so like i it's curious to me actually why they're going to europe first there must have been some something they've worked out but we'll see so they're going to be using ChatGPT to augment its ida in-car voice assistant to enable more naturalistic communication between you and your car so where do you think they got ida from they got the ID3, the ID4. So they're just like, oh, Ida. It's the brains that is on all of these vehicles, the, the ID series of uh, EVs and the, the other ones as well. So See? it's no Bixby. It's no Bixby. <laughs> well, vehicle owners, they're saying, will be able to use this new super-powered voice assistant to control basic functions, sure. You know, heating, air conditioning. But wouldn't it be more fun if it could answer general knowledge questions? <laughs> And I will leave room for wah wow in terms of, we know, sometimes things aren't factually accurate. So, again... What do these markers on the road mean? Yeah. Again, we say use at your own risk. 
But, you know, VW is really saying that they're hoping this provides, quote, enriching conversations, <laughs> clearing up questions, interacting in intuitive language, receiving vehicle-specific information, and much more purely hands-free. By the way, in case you're wondering, no, you do not have to install any new apps. There's not going to be a need to create a new account. It's going to activate by saying, hello, Ida. Or you can just press your button on the steering wheel. And if you are worried about data security, Volkswagen claims that questions and answers are deleted immediately to ensure the highest possible level of data protection, which is good but also annoying if you were actually going to use it and you wanted like your chat history. I don't know how that's going to work, but they're saying it's able to integrate OpenAI because of, is it Serence? I think I'm saying that right, but this is like a third party software that makes automotive grade ChatGPT integrations basically. So that's what they're using to get ChatGPT into their vehicles. So I do question if it's a need, but it is my pick because I do feel like this is the next way that all of our smart vehicles, whether autonomous or not, are going. The accuracy thing is my only reservation with it. I love it in terms of let's talk about the vehicle and what does the vehicle need? So like, here's a basic use case for me that is so simple, but this is the first thing I thought of. When you get a stupid light on your dashboard and then you have to open your glove box and look through the manual and find the page and see which one of the things, because now some of the lights are for multiple things, which one of the things it indicates. So I love it for the idea of a more conversational tone to just be like, hey, why is this light on my dash? Or what does this light mean today? And then it can tell you, oh, your tire pressure or oh, you're due for an oil change or I don't know. I, I'm sad and I just felt like talking. Whatever whatever Ida <laughs> wants to say to you. But so just very simple things like that. I think I'm really, really excited for the little things like what it could mean. Not necessarily like asking it a ton of questions. I mean, I, I guess if you're on a road trip, it could be helpful for asking certain questions about the destination you're going to. But it's not like you can fact check it while you're driving. <laughs> so your passenger might have to do that. But I'm excited for kind of the little things. I don't know. Like, what do you think? Do you think this is like the next the next thing? Like, are they just the first that's really saying, hey, we're leaning into the biggest, still arguably the biggest player in the game, which is ChatGPT. We're going to lean into it and they're going in our cars. We're not doing this third party nonsense. We're going all in. So there's a bunch of different things going on here and a bunch of practical applications that I could see. So let's start with the, the practical applications and some of which you mentioned, such as, you know, understanding what is going on in your vehicle, right? With you know, check, in, you know, check engine lights, other sorts of warning lights and whatnot. Cool. Getting a better in tune with how your car is operating and then also accessing the very systems of the car, be they climate control, entertainment systems and the like. We've even seen controversies over certain models, <coughs> Tesla, having to yeah. use the touchscreen to open your glove box, which is crazy making. We've seen at the maniacal drive for simplification that so many buttons and dials are being removed from dashboards of vehicles. Now there's a bit of a uh, backlash against that, and some vehicle makers are 
adding more physical controls. There's 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 got to be a you know, a mix there. But you don't want. I mean, there was talk at some point of putting like the um, turn signals, no. having to do access that from a touchscreen, which sounds like a very bad idea and probably against most uh, regulations around the world. But it, you know, if some automakers are going to continue down that oversimplification route, then having a voice in, uh, in, uh, a voice interface to access those features might be the solution to that. So, you know, hey, Ida, or hey, Tesla, or whatever, like, open the glove box. Cool. You know, what, as long as it's working, right? You know, tweaking things, like I said, the climate control, entertainment system, interacting with navigation, perhaps in deeper ways that we're able to, especially with the built-in systems, and even Apple's CarPlay and Android Auto they can do a certain amount, but there's also built-in limitations that are on purpose for, safe, mm-hmm. for safety reasons. But like, you know, th- once you power the smarts of an LLM with real-time awareness of not only the, you know, the web, but the world and location and things like that, where you can say, hey, I, you know, f- you know, find me that EV charging station in the next uh, 10 kilometers, preferably one that's got a washroom nearby. Like, I want to be able to ask my car that. And right now you can't, at least not in a reliable fashion. So there... There, there's all sorts of things that you could do with this. We were talking about this on our other show, Momentous Live, and friend, and and Will, our guy Will, he's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But I was like, dude, but the glove box. Yeah. What if you're in a car that you can't open the glove box? Do you want to have to use a touchscreen? So part of it is just like us thinking through and using our imagination to see how these kinds of tools can help us access information and features while keeping our eyes yes. on the ro- road as much as possible, which is ultimately should be the the aim of a lot of these features. So the wrinkle, however, is that we've seen this tension between the automakers and the providers of software such as Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, because a lot of people prefer the latter over the former, and you have GM going their own way saying, oh, we're not going to support CarPlay and Android Auto anymore. We're going to use our our built-in stuff. And we've had the CEO of Ford going, haha, good luck with that, because you're building something that people don't actually want. So what Volkswagen's doing here, and I think Volkswagen does support CarPlay in their in their current vehicles, but if they're what they're proposing to build into their own vehicles is more compelling for mm-hmm. people, maybe they're just going to let the market decide rather than taking the the, uh, the CarPlay and Android Auto uh, options away from people. But what's going to happen is that you're going to see CarPlay and Android Auto, by um, by dint of their built-in assistance, being Siri and Google Assistant, getting smarter and smarter over time, fingers crossed, as they do brain transplants with the, the, those companies' respective LLM efforts. So then it's... It, it's going to be well. You've got smarter, you know, phone mirroring options from your Android phone or your iPhone, and you've got smarter cars now. But it could take a while for it to roll out. So it's going to be a bit of a race to see who can get there first. Because one of the key things is the depth of integration with your vehicle systems, and that's where the automakers have the advantage. And that's the thing that argues against things like those offered from Google and Apple. And you know, Apple a while, like a year, year and a half ago, yeah, a year and a half ago, was talking about like enhanced CarPlay. You know, taking over every screen in your car. And we've seen some demos from Porsche and Aston Martin, but a lot of the other car makers are still a little skeptical. But if we can get more smarts into this and Google and Apple get way ahead of the car makers, the car makers say, fine, here, here's the APIs, here's the hooks to our systems, go to town. But 
you know, there's that option, or they're going to be more like Netflix, where you know you can't even see Netflix shows on the home screen on your Apple TV because Netflix is the you know the the big player in streaming, and they're not playing ball, and it's totally user hostile experience. Not that I'm bitter, so there's different different interests at work, right? People want to build loyalty with you know their with Ida, and or Siri, or or Google Assistant. So who's going to win, the car makers or the AI providers? And you know, Volkswagen's got an interesting uh, approach here. They're going with one of the AI providers, and we'll see how and it I'm goes And I'm curious to know if it's enough for people to be like, hey, I'd get a Volkswagen because of this. See what I mean? Like, what's the, yeah. the push to that? And kind of like you're saying, like, just to cap this off, I love it in terms of, like, the idea of it. Let's see how the execution is in terms of simplifying and the like because i don't want it to get more confusing we we don't need more doodads we don't need more confusing we want we want y'all focusing on the road okay just that's your one job you're driving a vehicle so tristan what is your second pick this is going to be a bit of a quick hit it's something that we've seen some iterations of in the market so far but i just like where this space is going. And there's a company called Wim, which is building these uh, quasi, uh, sorry, it's a company's called We Robotics, and they have a product called Wim. And these are kind of like partial exoskeleton type devices meant to help people walk or help them exercise in a safe and efficient manner by providing proper support. Also includes personalized AI coaching that can help enhance your exercise experience by, quote, adjusting the intensity and timing and providing customized programs. And then, of course, the data that it gathers can help with non-exercise coaching, improving your walking performance, et cetera, et cetera. So these are the sorts of systems that could analyze your gait, potentially diagnose uh, things like, we've seen with gait analysis from some of Apple's tools, like the Apple Watch, diagnose certain conditions, like neural conditions. Uh, but people with who already have those diagnosed neural conditions, they could probably use a little boost in the walking and or exercising department. So this company, We Robotics, has uh, tools that can, you know, give you lower back support, mm, for example. They've got a number. I'm literally using <laughs> a, a heating number. pad right now as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> they've got all sorts of products that they're working on in the, in the robotic side. And again, there are other uh, companies that have been working on this sort of stuff, making AI-powered exoskeletons to help in, like, say, factory in environments, packing and shipping, providing strength just to ease up on the bodies of the of the workers, even in a healthcare scenario, for example. But I just wanted to draw attention to this entire field because the robotics angle is one part of it, but the AI smarts are what help make it more natural and more efficient and more in tune with the wearer's you know, physiology and movement. So at some day we'll get to the point where we can all wear the giant mech suits like in Aliens with uh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> but you know, in terms of you know, the enhancements for mobility, for support with aging populations, people who are going to live longer and longer thanks to improved health care, but mobility might all, always be there. Um, the reduced younger workforce, so that may need some support until such point as the robots are smart enough to do everything themselves. Um, you know, pr products like this, we, I think we're going to see more and more of the the merging of the AI smarts with the lightweight uh, robotic augmentation of human beings. Very cool. And now 
I would like to take us from something very cool and helpful to, but why though? <laughs> this is a new segment we're calling, but why though? Why though? <laughs> so Tristan, my pick for, but why though, from CES this year is actually something called the Flappy AI Cat Tour. Question mark. Question mark. But why though? So this is from a Swiss company. They have unveiled an AI powered cat door that automatically locks if your pet tries to bring in prey it caught from the outside. So so I just want to give you a quick rundown of how this works. On the side of the door that's facing the outside, there's a motion sensor and a night vision camera. And Flappy says it's compiled you know, apparently unique and proprietary data over many, many years, sure, with a focus on diversity, but diversity in cats. So like lots of different kinds of cats, as well as prey. What about about cat burglars? (laughs) Right. And then they shot all this stuff in like a variety of different lighting conditions. So they said that its AI powered detection system is accurate more than 90% of the time, which I just want to point out, that means that your cat could still get a mouse inside, FYI, because... That, that 10% mouse. That 10%. <laughs> the real weird ones. You know, and they might squeak through. There are also manual switches. So if something goes wrong, there's a manual switch on the inside of the door, and you can lock and unlock it anytime you want, as well as turn off the prey detection system if you don't want it. So here's the other thing when I ask, like, why? Because the first question is, is this a big problem for people that it's coming into your house with it? Like, okay, maybe it is. Maybe in Switzerland, it's a big problem and all these cats are bringing stuff in. I don't know. But then my second... They're really good hunters in Switzerland. Right? But then my second question... All the cats get a rifle when they turn 18. Like, like, I lived on a farm. I grew up on a farm. We had barn cats up the wazoo. Let me tell you, those things were so inbred and they were everywhere. And I got to tell you, in my whole life... They might have brought one or two things. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of cats over my life that I grew up on this farm. Maybe one or two times there was something brought to the back door. I really don't. I go, why? But then my second question is, it comes in what Flappy themselves say, which is that eventually pets are likely to be trained, that they can't enter when carrying something. And when they drop the prey at the door, that that's going to promptly unlock so they can get inside but so then well they learn to like stick their paw through the door and yeah grab it and yoink it so in that's my other question there's twofold <laughs> the one part is so wait your own system is going to just be null and void at some point because the cat's going to stop bringing in the prey and then mission accomplished right and then also if the cat just runs in and sticks its paw out it could still bring it in if this is a problem I'd like everybody to mull on that and say, but why though? <laughs> and that's my pick for you, Tristan. <laughs> Flappy. With, with, with some of these things, you wonder if they're solutions looking f- for problems. The w- one aspect of this, which is proven to be useful that we see in some electronic cat doors already is the part where it identifies a chip. If you've got uh, a chip in your cat for when you've you've lost it and then they can, you know, the animal rescue or some vets, uh, veterinarians can, you know, figure out where the cat's from because it's got a a chip that's been inserted between the shoulder blades under the skin. Uh, Cool. And you can, with some of these, and a friend of the show, Jamie, his family, they have that kind of smart door where it'll only 
let a cat go through there that's got a chip in there so it won't allow strange cats to come into your house or well it's good for multi-pets other things like raccoons so like and, our friends yeah, exactly, have, a, small have, dogs. Mul- have mm-hmm. a dog and a cat the problem for them is so they have a dog door the problem is the cat's too smart and kept kept getting out the dog door so then they upgraded the dog door so that it's only detected by a chip in his collar so mm-hmm. peanut can exit and enter the door but the cat has learned the timing of it because it stays up for a certain amount of time to like make sure the dog can so it'll just like hear the noise and be like and like it's yeah. like can go really quick to sneak out of the house so again to uh, your point it's we are we just training the next generation of super pets because we're giving them problems that they need to solve, whether it's pulling their prey inside or sneaking out at the right time and and so on. Um, A lot of these doors will have timers on them so they can't exit after certain times of night and and the like. So this, you just sprinkle a little AI on everything and it makes it more compelling, but is it, you know, $300 compelling or or cheaper with a subscription? Of course, you got to get a subscription on things, but at least they've got those a couple of pricing options. It's $399, or $1.99 with a two-year $8.90 monthly prescri- subscription on the app. And then is, are you in the clear after that? No, then you're still going to have to pay oh. the monthly Well, you can see the videos, the door records of your pet. Well, I'm giving this a big sure. why, though, out of 10. Okay. So, Tristan, <laughs> I don't know what yours is. You never put anything in our, you haven't told me in, in our show notes. What is your why, though, pick? <laughs> well, we would hate to interfere with tired parents as they're trying to catch up on Bridgerton or For All Mankind, whatever it is that they like to to watch. So we have to have the AI-powered baby cry translator. I saw this. I was so hoping that was going to be my other choice. (laughs) So we've seen over the last several decades, baby monitors of all shapes and sizes. They started with basically glorified walkie-talkies that were just in the on position from the nursery. So you could hear when baby was making noise, and then you could like desperately rush to the bedroom to make sure baby's okay, and thus training a generation of super babies to make little noises to get people to come and comfort them in the bedroom. I mean, that's the style of parenting that, you know, there's, there's a whole discussion uh, about that. Now we're on edge all the time, waiting for every little you know noise. Then they had the video versions where you could see a feed of your baby, and there's some comfort in that, especially if you have a larger house and you know maybe not a lot of people around. You want to get some things done, and you want to you know keep tabs on the kid and not wait till they're screaming so loud that you can hear them from the other end of your monster home or wherever you happen to live. Um, in in you know smaller apartments, maybe it's not as big an issue, but these types of devices tend to be targeted towards people that maybe have a bit more disposable income and maybe they've got larger homes as well. So just like with our pets, um, we've got a a problem here that's being solved in a number of ways over time. But now with the little sprinkling of AI pixie dust, we can translate the baby's cries so that the AIs can tell you whether they're hungry, uncomfortable, tired, or in need of a diaper change. Somehow. I, I. well, we'll see. Uh, BS, does that stand for baby poop? <laughs> <laughs> they're um, making a bold so using, claim here. <laughs> well, they're using AI and machine learning to decipher an infant's needs, claiming their technology is about 95% accurate. So look at that. 5% more accurate than the Flappy. prey identification for your, your pet door. <laughs> so apparently, humans only have a 30% accuracy rating. So again, well, let's see how it goes. Because what we have learned is that AI is good at pattern recognition, not only in language, but in imagery, 
you know, things like medical scans, diagnoses, and audio. It reminds me of the dog translator collar in the Pixar movie. I was movie literally Up. just going <laughs> right? to say that. Okay. Like, let me guess, their second product is translating our dogs' barks and sounds and whines. I just don't understand. They're, they're claiming the technology is accurate, but like, how did you actually train the model? So unless you did this over like Torturing 20 babies. years and had millions of babies in that 20 year time to gather data of all the different noises and cries they make new parents have enough bull to deal with as it is and now they're gonna have this thrown at them and think oh thank god a lifeline and i don't know man you know but these guys aren't the first q bear plus was shown off at ces last year and even won an innovation reward yeah but does so it work this, you never heard about it again is- <laughs> this market is heating up, but where you know, herein lies the rub, the app costs ten dollars a month. Yeah, but so you only you need it the when the kid's a baby. Once the kid can <laughs> and talk, then, and then you can throw it in the landfill, and then it goes into the dump like the rest of this. <laughs> wah, wah. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of fascinating in a way because of the pattern recognition of. Uh, abilities of AI, and they're just going to get better and better as time goes on. We're seeing similar things with decoding neural signals, like that story we talked about several months ago, trying, you know, allowing a nonverbal woman, a woman who had lost her voice, to be able to speak again because it could decode her brain signals. So it's an yes, application of a an similar sort of technology. I just want to make yeah. that clear, <laughs> the distinction here and what we're talking about. Well, luckily, we don't have to jack into the, the base of baby's skull to make this work. Oh, boy. Let's, let's count our blessings, shall we? And with that, wah-wah. But why, though? We say thank you so much for listening to another episode of AI Name This Show. This was a fun one. And we would absolutely love if you would leave us a review, maybe share this out with your friends and family if you're enjoying it. That just really helps us get this show out to more people. So thank you so much for joining us. AI and goodbye. The DTNS family of podcasts. Helping each other understand. 